Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 28. Thank you, platform workers and musicians. Really do appreciate those who uh, mentioned in the ministry meeting. Uh, we got a really good song service and really do appreciate that. Genesis 28. It was Admiral William McRaven. He's retired now. But he, uh, he had made a speech uh, and in, uh, um, I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure where he made this speech, but it, he actually turned it into a book, and it was called Make Your Bed. And if you've ever caught that speech, I believe it's on YouTube. He said, if you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will encourage you to do another task and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right. As a military man, he taught to first things first and in basic training meant making your bed. Most of us will, are not, have not, or will not be in the military. But we can take that principle that he brings out here about accomplishing something in the early part of the day that becomes critical in life, and I want to talk to you about morning prayer. Because morning prayer is something that will revolutionize your life. If you rush into the day without taking time for God, it really can make a big difference in your life than if you take the time and have a conversation with God, begin to speak to Him. Have a prayer life because one man said your life and your walk with God will never exceed your prayer life. We're going to look at a man named Jacob. And Jacob is in a crisis situation. He's running from his brother Esau. He's got some issues going on in his own life that he's kind of tricked his brother out of some things. And as he's leaving, he's going up to Haran. God's got a future for him up there for at least a couple of 20 years. He has an encounter with God. And one encounter that happened in the morning can really change our lives. Genesis 28, beginning of verse 10. We're going to go on through verse 22. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob, having left Bersheba, traveled south towards Haran. And at sundown, he arrived at a good place and set up a camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down and went to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway reaching from earth up to heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord God, the God of your grandfather Abraham. And the God of your father Isaac, the ground which you are, li- uh, you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions. 
to the east, uh, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. And what more, I am with, uh, I am with you and will protect you wherever I go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. And he was afraid. What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And the next morning, Jacob got up early and he took a stone that he had rested his head against. And he set it up straight for a memorial pillar. And he poured olive oil over it. And he named that place Bethel which means house of God, Beth meaning house, El meaning God. And though it was previously called Luz, and Jacob made a vow, if God indeed will be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me food and clothing, and if I return in safety to my father's house, then the Lord uh, certainly, uh, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have uh, set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob woke up early, and the rock he had set his head against sets up and makes an altar and pours it out, calls this place Bethel. Let's talk firstly about the first things first. Every day has a starting point. For some, it will be 5 o'clock. For some, it will be 6 o'clock. For some, it might be even 7 o'clock. Some, it's maybe later. Some, it may be earlier. But the day has a starting point. Most of us have uh, an alarm clock or some kind of uh, feature, maybe on your phone, that you set and it goes off. And then you get a little older and your body clock starts kicking in. And, you know, uh, my wife and I will sleep in a little bit on weekends uh, as opposed to weekdays. And sure enough, we're awake and we're awake, you know, uh, this morning at six, a little before six and such. Uh, and But every day has a starting point. It's a reset point. Every day we're resetting uh, the blessing of the evening and the morning uh, that God's had in creation. There's something about God's desire to break life down into life, into like bite-sized segments. We have 365 days in a year, but most of us are just functioning day to day. Right? We, we, yes, we make plans. We make future plans. We've got schedules. We've got appointments. We've got uh, things we're doing. But basically, it's day by day. We're planning the days. We're dealing with uh, 24 hour segments. What are we going to get uh, done? The Creator designed us to need sleep, which is amazing if you think basically, we're going to spend somewhere around a third of our lives sleeping. I've had both the, you know, uh, the, this, the nights that seem to go on and on, couldn't get to sleep and, you know, and uh, believe in Sunday afternoon naps and all that kind of thing. And so, you know, it works out. God's designed the planet to have that kind of 
understanding. We have sunlight for so long and it's kind of nice now that we're getting into, uh, you know, June will be just a few days away and we're seeing and I'm noticing and I'm sure you are too, the longer evenings. And it's nice to be out, you know, and, and to see that nice the way it is. But 24 hours is a cycle. And in the midst of that, God has created in us the reset of the day that we can seek Him in the morning. Jacques Ulu, Ilu, it's French, I can't really pronounce it correctly, it's E-L-L-U-L, said in the morning, prayer is the key that opens up the treasures of God's mercy and blessing. In the evening is the key that shuts up under the protection and safeguard. You begin to look at the Scriptures and you begin to see a priority on seeking God in the morning. Genesis chapter 19 verse 27, Abraham got up early and he hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. God had just judged Sodom and Gomorrah He was still unaware of the fate of his nephew Lot and was trying to get a whole handle on this and he goes out to pray. 1 Samuel 1, 19 and 20, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord one more time. And then they returned home from uh, Ramah. And when Elkian slept with Hannah. The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord. Here she's desperate for a child. She's desperate for fruitfulness. There's a critical adversary tormenting her. This is a desperate thing. She gets up early and she seeks the Lord. First Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles 29 Verse 20, it says, And early in the morning, King Hezekiah gathered the officials and they went into the temple of the Lord. Hezekiah, again, is in deep uh, trouble. There's a situation before him. He gets the leaders together. Doesn't always have to be crisis, though. Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes... After several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings and sacrifices for each one of them. And Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and they have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. David was a man who wrote many of the Psalms. And in Psalm 61, or I'm sorry, 63, 1 and 2, he says, God, O God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have your, uh, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. David's practice was to get up early. Except one time we read he got up late. And that's when he saw Bathsheba. 
Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, before daybreak. The next morning, Jesus got up and went into a isolated place to pray. Over and over is this thought of getting up early, marking time to spend with God. And again, early for you might be relative. I understand that. Mark chapter 1, verses 36 through 38, after Jesus prays, later Simon and the others went to find him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you, but Jesus replied, we must go to other towns, and I will preach there too. This is why I came. He was energized, and he was directed by prayer. Prayer will energize you and direct you. Jesus had the same kind of energizing and direction in the Garden of Gethsemane before the time he was going to be crucified. There is something about seeking the Lord early that can change and mark your day. Think about this. Here's Jacob. He's running. It's critical. His brother has threatened to kill him. He's just stolen the birthright. He's tricked his brother out of the blessing. Or he stole the blessing. He tricked his brother out of the birthright. He's running. He's, his brother is going to kill him. His mother says, go to my uncle, go to my brother's house. You'll, you'll find refuge there. And on the way, he's traveling alone. There's no, there's no ear pods. There's nothing. He's thinking about this. He's probably concerned as a single individual traveling through these lands would have been a bit hazardous. I've been in places where I've been obviously the foreigner. And to know, you know, that's just a nervous feeling. To be the only one, the only American, the only one, uh, you know, uh, of, of a different ethnicity. Here's Jacob traveling through these. He's all by himself. No family, no friends, no nothing with him. And he has an encounter with God. And God gives him clarity. Very vulnerable places of life. We all face them. Prayer will absolutely help us. It's in that prayer he makes a vow to God. If indeed you will protect me on this journey and provide for me clothes and food, return me safe to my father's house, then the Lord certainly will be my God. You know, we're on a journey. Peter marks our Christian life as a journey, as pilgrims and sojourners. Our goal is to get to the Father's house, isn't it? To heaven. And God is taking care of us, meeting our needs, food and clothes, always a picture of our necessities of life. There's something about prayer that brings this out. See, we're never helpless 
in the face of our circumstances. We looked this morning at our, in our Sunday school, we happened to come across and come, let, uh, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There's something about coming to God that we can have that kind of understanding. God can bless us. It's never hopeless. See, it's in prayer we have, a, we have influence. We have power over our circumstances. You know, in life, we're pretty powerless. Right? They're going to make decisions in Albany. They don't care what we think. They're going to make decisions in Washington. They don't care what we think. They're going to make decisions in the UN. They don't care what America thinks. They're going to make decisions that are going to affect us in Brussels in Moscow, and in Beijing. And they really don't care how that affects us. And yet we have the ultimate power in prayer. That I'm not subject to just the circumstances. God has the final word. God will help us. God wants to move. Jesus wants to give us blessing and favor. Let me tell you the truth in life. You're going to complain to someone. You are. So better be God who can actually help you with it. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. I have met people going through horrific situations. Horrific problems of life, and they pray, and God helps them. And though the battles rage and the storms come and all the issues of life, there's a peace about them. And then I've met people that are anxious about everything and come to prayer with nothing. And the peace of God does not guard their hearts or their minds. They're tormented. They're left to themselves. Luke 22, Jesus is about to face the cross. This is probably the most horrific. He knows what's ahead for him. Most of us, we have no idea. Luke twenty two forty one through 43, and he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then angels from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Now I can tell you, I have never seen angels in a prayer meeting. I thought I did once, but it happened to be Carrie and, you know, any Smooths. Anyway, that, you know, 
I've never seen angels, but I know God has strengthened me in prayer. I've gone into prayer frazzled and frustrated, nervous and unknowing what all that is going to transpire and come out of prayer refreshed and confident that God is going to help us. There was one time, I remember we were in Chicopee, and it was, there were just some issues, some battles, some fights, some all sorts of things, you know, in the spiritual and just going through, and it was like, ah. And I, I, we were vexed, we were talking, and I had gone over in the afternoon, I had gone to the church, and I prayed for a little while, and I came back, and I told Carrie it was going to be okay, but she hadn't prayed, and she's like, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? said, let's go out to lunch. And she's like, can we afford it? It was, you know, very tight. And I'm like, yes, I believe God. And God really did come through, help us. We needed a new building. There was nothing, no buildings opening. It was just, it was a crazy time. And God came through for us, gave us a great building. It's actually the building that's right across the street from the church that they have. We got into it 5,000 square feet, $600 a month, including heat and electricity. That was unbelievable. See, we allow circumstances sometime to navigate our lives rather than pray. God wants us to expand our prayers, not only about our circumstances, but into nations and cities. And I've shared that with you before. Lots of northeast cities that are within a four-hour drive of us don't have churches, don't have our fellowship churches anyway, that we could put people, we could see people come to. God will show you things about other people. Not so that you can gossip, but so that you can pray. There were three men, 1788, Hartford, Connecticut. They realized the pastor was preaching false doctrine. They got together and they said, well, we could confront him. And that probably will not go well. We can leave and that will split the church and, or we can pray. This man began to pray and this man got his heart right. And when the great American awakening began, he began to see tremendous revival in Hartford, Connecticut. And was able to usher in many souls into the kingdom. God will show you things if you're a prayer warrior. He'll allow you to be a part of that. Not for gossip, but for blessing. Sing about Jacob's refuge. We have a refuge here. Again, Jacob's on the run. He's, he's desperate. He says, 
God speaks to him and says, I'm with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I'll bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I've promised. Jacob awoke and said, surely God is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But I was also afraid what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. This revelation was going to keep Jacob through time. Prayer has something that will keep you. I can tell you that when people begin to backslide, one of the very first things that goes is their prayer life. They let go of talking to God. Because they don't want to talk to a God that's actually going to probably confront them on why their heart is not right. Jacob is unsure of where he's headed at this point. He knows he's going to his uncle Laban's house, but he's never been there before. He's never met his uncle Laban, and he has no idea if Laban's even going to take him in. You know, you read stories. I've, if you ever go to Ellis Island, you'll read stories of, you know, 9, 10, 11-year-old boys that were put on the boat coming out of Europe, sent over across the sea with a note in their pocket of an address of an uncle or an aunt who had already immigrated to America with the hopes they would take them in, that they could make money and get the rest of the family over from wherever they were from. That's frightening to me. And I look at 9, 10, and 11-year-old boys and I think, how could, you know, that would be terrifying. Jacob's older than this, but he still doesn't know. If you've ever been in a place where your future is uncertain, it is a terrifying feeling. God keeps him, prepares him, helps him. Jacob has done some damage in the wake behind him. He has damaged his relationship with his brother. He has damaged his relationship with his father. Yet God assures him, I'm going to help you. I'm going to bless you. I've got destiny for you. God comforts him. He goes on to his uncle Laban's house. God helps him, blesses him, prospers him. He gets wives, which I don't understand why you need more than one, but that's a whole nother question I have for God later. But anyway, Genesis 31, 13, God appears to Jacob. Again, he says, I'm the God who appeared to you in Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready to leave and return to the land of your birth. God reminds him God will remind you of your prayers. My mother-in-law mentioned in the Sunday school, she writes down certain things. It's always good to write down a few things. It's amazing what you can do and find. I think I've shared with you before, but Mary 
Webb was sharing with my wife and myself that she had a Bible and she had written down some prayer requests when they were in Canada many years ago. And she moved and the Bible got put in a box. I'm sure it got put in a box marked fragile and put in the basement. And for a long time, she had gotten a new Bible. She didn't think that much of it. And one day she's cleaning out some boxes. She comes across it. And in that Bible was a prayer list. And she had asked God for five very specific things. One was including the, a house they could buy. And the house they were living in, she's looking at all the requests she had for that house. She clicked every box. She began to look at other people she was praying for, other situations and circumstances. She said there were five major things and all five of them had been answered. It's good to remember, but God will even bring that to your mind if you don't write it down. It's been times God has reminded me, well, you prayed for this. Okay. Later on, Jacob would have another critical time in life. It would be when his only daughter, there's my Boston, his only daughter was violated. Jacob feared that the land, the people would destroy him. Simon and Levi get angry and they say, okay, they go behind their father's back, make a deal with the village, say, okay, you can have our daughter, you can have our sister in marriage, but here's the deal, you've got to be circumcised. So we're going to circumcise the whole town and then afterwards, yeah, we'll take your girls from in our marriage and you can have, and when they were all, all the men were still in pain, they went in and killed everybody. And Jacob said, you can't make this stuff up. This is in the Bible. And Jacob said, you've, you've, you're gonna, everybody's going to kill us. And they said, well, we can't let our sister. And there's a great sermon there that I'm going to preach soon on unresolved conflicts because it never resolves. They have their words, but there's never resolution to it. The next verse Verse, chapter 35, verse 1. And God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you first fled from your brother Esau. And Jacob told everyone in his house, Get rid of your, all your pagan idols, purify yourself, and put on clean clothing. We're going to Bethel, where we're going to build an altar to God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. And he has been with me wherever I have gone. God brings him back. I say all that to say that God will bring us back to that precious place of prayer. There's just times in life where you're going to have to pray. That in life, things may be going well. You need to pray. The wheels may be coming off as you're going. You need to pray. God will call you back to first things first. Come back to the place where He's waiting for you. The place of prayer. 
One man said these words, prayer has become a convenience. Prayer times have slipped away in the local church calendar as weekly fillers. We pray for a minute here or four minutes there. The pastor prays. Sunday morning, somebody offers an opening prayer, a closing prayer. We pray for everything from softball games to car washes to choir concerts. But somehow we feel that the prayer at the beginning of something and the end of something is good. God is bound to bless whatever falls in between. One popular early morning prayer breakfast has been replaced now in many churches simply by motivational speakers or Christian businessmen who send us charging into the day rather than spending the day opening and closing in prayer. There's something about morning prayer. You don't have to necessarily come to the building. One of the reasons we open the building, for me personally, I can tell you, it's better for me to get away from my distractions at my house and come to a place where I'm coming for the purpose of prayer. And I'll tell you, I'm still here and there's still distractions. But the reality is you make that decision, that commitment. You can do it. We did it in Cork, Ireland. You could pray at your house. We had to make it. But we had to be very, very disciplined about it. To get up, to make sure that that morning before we checked our emails before, because back then we didn't have pads and things, you know, it was in phones and it was all on the computer. Before we did any of that, we'd plant ourselves on the sofa cup of coffee, and a Bible. That was it. Take time to pray. There's something about prayer. Something about Jacob that is great to look at, that he keeps getting called back to prayer. Situations and circumstances of life can do that to you. But it's easier if we just put back in place First things first. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this evening. You're not right with God. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. Backslidden away from God. You knew Him at one time. But the point is you're not in relationship with God right now. You're not serving God at this moment. And you know that. And God knows that. Maybe no one else does, but you know it and God knows it. It is your opportunity to get your heart right with Jesus. That's you very quickly. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to get my heart right with God. I want to know Jesus in a personal way. Would you pray for me? I want to, I want to know Jesus. Anyone at all, very quickly. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Thank God. Someone want to join an honest heart. Say, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I want to get my heart right very quickly. Amen. You lifted your hand. Would you look at me? Amen. You mean that, don't you? Would you come? Someone's going to pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you. Just come very quickly. I need a sister very quickly to pray. Carrie's going to do it. Okay. Just kneel down right here. My Carrie's going to pray with you. Changing the call then to Christians. There's just something about prayer. It is the great privilege and yet the great neglect. 
before we do anything in ministry, before we start our day, we should be putting in prayer. And not just the 30-second prayer, but let God use our lives. Seek Him. Let's see what He'll do. Enfield, Connecticut. Jonathan Edwards had been fasting for three days and nights. His prayer had been, give me New England. But what he didn't know is the congregation had spent a large time in prayer. And he preached a simple sermon. A sermon he had preached in Northampton, Massachusetts with very minimal effect. When he preached it in Enfield, Connecticut, soaked with prayer, sinners in the hands of an angry God, something sparked. And this great American awakening began, began in prayer. Let's open these altars, allow people to talk to God, and make a commitment. I'm going to pray in the morning. Thank God. Let's sing that song, Worship His Name. our God, how great is our God, oh sing with me, how great is our God, oh sing our 
worship Him and give Him praise. Father, we love You.